0: This is episode 10 of the Let's Talk Diaspora podcast. We're talking about the fourth wave of modern missions. Uh, it's going to be an introduction to some history of what God has been doing and what he's doing today.
1: In one of our, I think, um, episode eight of one of our previous episodes um, from this season, I spoke about a course called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. Our topic today I really was unaware of this whole topic of history in modern missions or um, kind of looking at these different waves until I took that course. And it really was an exciting piece for me because it um, I got to see not just the biblical pieces and how God had b- been working among the nations throughout scripture and his importance of all nations knowing him and being discipled um, to know and trust him. Um, but then also just how he's been working through history in these different waves. So that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. And um, also kind of think about what this next wave, you know, that we might be currently in.
0: Yeah, when we think of history and we think of like, oftentimes people say like an event or something is is historical, it's history making, but Oftentimes, in the midst of what we're doing and experiencing, we don't really know the impact it has on history, right? So we we we're going to be talking about maybe are we in the fourth wave of modern missions? And you may think, well, but that's a little premature. We don't we don't know. You're right, but we just want to recognize, hey, maybe this is something God is doing new today, because he he has been doing uh, new things in the past hundred years, to push forward the mission of the church of, of seeing every nation, tongue, and tribe worshiping Jesus. So when we think of the history of missions, Rebecca, where, where do you think it starts?
1: I mean, where I go history of missions, of course, I start biblically, but um, we've kind of already gone through that in one episode. So I think of the first missionary I think of is William Carey. Um, going into India and being really looked at as a crazy person. (laughs) And what in the world are you doing?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So William Carey is, and and his, his title that he sometimes get is the father of modern missions. And it's, it's not that missions didn't exist prior to William Carey there, there was ebbs and flows of, of God's church doing God's activity for his kingdom But this was at a point in time that there wasn't a lot happening and his ideas were so crazy. It's today, what we say is normal, right? It was, you know, an afterthought missions was an afterthought of the church into the 1700s, but William Carey became convinced from Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that that was a binding command for every Christian of every age. And then ultimately, that that passage—it wasn't, you know, peer pressure. It wasn't anything. It was the word of God that led him to give his life to going to India for the sake of Christ among those in South Asia. And I, I remember the the story that that we read in the Perspectives Reader of William Carey, basically going to this—I uh, don't know—like a council or whatever it was, this gathering of leaders, and basically sharing his heart that that that. We are supposed to make disciples of all nations, and they say, "Son, sit down. If God wants to save the heathen, He'll do it without you." <laughs> and if you remember from previous episode, what what we we agreed, uh, Rebecca, you and I agreed is we we see in Scripture that God uses huge human agents, and even practically, we we see that. And, and again, not limiting God, we're not saying that God this is the only way you can work, but we're just observing this is what we've seen you do in Scripture. And and your works in church planting and evangelism, disciple making throughout history. But yeah, it starts with with William Carey. Now, William Carey went to what we call the coastlands. So he went to the shores, and and honestly, William Carey went to the same places that colonization was going. And so when we look back on modern missions, there's lots of things that we could say, oh, that wasn't. That wasn't the greatest thing. And I'm sure there's things we're doing today that people will look back on us and say, oh, what were you guys thinking? That wasn't the greatest thing. But he obeyed Jesus, and he went for the sake of Christ among the nations. And so are we going to get everything right? No. Did William Carey get everything right? No. But William Carey has such a lasting influence in India. So William Carey started schools, hospitals, translated the Bible – and still today, the fruit of William Carey continues because of his obedience to go. So that was the first wave William Carey going, but it, he was going to the coastlands. He was going where there was, co- you know, colonial outpost because it was it was easier for you know an English person to go there because there were other English people there. Kind of the downfall of that was is there was baggage with going to just those colonial areas and it left much of the people in the country untouched with the gospel because the concentration was on, on the coastlands. Rebecca, you lived in South Asia. What, what are some things that you saw that were still like legacy from William Carey?
1: Well, I can, I know times that I have met Christians, believers in Christ that they would say they were Christians because of William Carey, or they had been Christians since William Carey. And again, I think that shows you kind of goes back to the show, our previous, a previous episode of that us versus them, because they, they claim they were Christians, you know, and that that was their identity of who they were, but it all went back to William Carey. And I've been in places in India where I've seen pictures, you know, hanging in homes of uh, William Carey um, and him it was his influence and um, his sharing that they came to know him. So it's pretty exciting to think. And I think it encourages us all to be out, you know, being obedient to what God's called us to do. Um, but as Bud has already mentioned, William Carey was kind of, he he was on those coastlands. Um, but then another missionary kind of comes into play um, and I think, well, and another thing about um, William Carey as well as this next missionary that kind of took us on this next wave um, is both of them were looking at Matthew 28. Um, 19 through 20. You know, that's really where their heart, their passion, it was all coming from the Lord and through scripture and how the Lord was leading them. But Hudson Taylor saw where there was a lot starting to happen now because of what God had been doing among the coastlands. But he began to see that God really wanted him to start focusing on those inlands, more um, the end inland part of a country, more of that geographical location. Bud, do you want to tell us a little more about that second wave?
0: Yeah, Hudson Taylor was, was the guy who kind of sparked the second wave. So William Carey sparked the first wave. There were mission uh, you know, agencies, organizations birthed out of that. They were sending missionaries. But again, they were following you know colonial lines. And so uh, along the coastline in China, there was a lot of missionaries. Hudson Taylor goes to China, and he recognizes no one's going inland uh, what about the people inland? Are they are they considered the nations in Matthew twenty and eight? And the Lord tells him, yes, you have to go inland. And ultimately, Hudson Taylor starts an organization to help support sending missionaries to inland China called China Inland Mission. So even even in the name of the missions group, it was that's what we're about. We're about the inland of china but this spurred people away from the coastlands not to the neglect of the coastlands right it's not a replacement it's an in addition to you know hudson taylor was in in shanghai and he's just like man there's a lot of missionaries here but there's not a lot of missionaries going inland and so that's when he started to mobilize many missionaries to, to inland china and you know we're, we're just touching on these guys very very briefly in the show notes we're going to put some books and some resources you can you can write hudson taylor has a wonderful book talks about uh the history of of his story hmm. it's so encouraging and challenging because these these two brothers william carey and hudson taylor they faced insurmountable challenges You know, deaths of of spouses, deaths of kids, persecution, not knowing if they were going to have money to eat, but God was faithful to sustain them and to glorify his name in the coastlands and the inlands. Um, And it was ultimately because they were just obeying the scripture. They were obeying the great commission. They had this conviction that, man, God loves these people. So that, that's kind of the second wave. So it started at the coastlands. William Carey moves inland, not in India but in China, through through really the the pioneering work of Hudson Taylor. And so then, if you think we've got the the coastlands and the inlands, we should be done, right? The whole world is covered. We have both of those uh, in mind, but that wasn't the case. Uh, Rebecca, do you do you know what really sparked the third wave of modern missions?
1: Well, I think the third wave really was sparked by another um, topic that we've kind of discussed when we are talking about unreached people groups and people groups. It's not just a geographical location, but it's really more about who the people are, that ethno-linguistic plus culture, you know, that whole piece of who people are. And so that really is what sparked the third wave. Of missions was people beginning to realize that we all do have differences be- beyond that geographical location. We had a lot. We have a lot of differences regarding culture and language and religions. Um, and this happened about the mid twentieth century, and um, was led by Dr. Donald McGavran, um, and he started to really document and learn about these, you know, different peoples.
0: God has brought millions of unreached people groups to North America. But who are the people? Where do they live? What are they like? And how can they be reached with the gospel? What if there was a a resource to answer those questions and more? There is. UPG North America was developed to be a voice to and a resource for the body of Christ. UPGNorthAmerica.com is an organizational neutral website where we have contributors from various individuals, churches, and organizations. And perhaps you have a part to play in contributing content, research, or your technical expertise to see all UPG communities seen, prayed for, and engaged with gospel workers. Go to upgnorthamerica.com for more information. Yeah, Dr. McAverin was, he, he was actually a missionary in India. And what happened was as the missionaries started to move inland, they just started encountering tons and tons of different cultures and languages and religions and they're like we don't we don't know what to do with this and so donald mcgavern being in probably one of the the hottest spots for diversity of language culture and religion in india he just sees the pluralistic mission field and says man i think we're missing something so 30 years of being around that, he comes back to the States and then he begins to write about this and he comes up with this principle called the homogenous unit principle. And the homogenous unit principle was really what, what took off into two categories. So one was in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, you had something called the church growth like movement, the church growth model and that was implemented a lot in the United States. And a lot of churches took this homogenous unit principle and applied it and grew their churches. In, in short, the homogenous unit principle basically just means those people who identify as we um, like to hear the gospel from someone inside our, our group, opposed to those who are they. And so that's that's a really, really simple oversimplization but it's it's ultimately the second thing that led out of the homogenous unit principle is, is people group thought. So Donald McGavran influenced another guy by the name of Ralph Winter. Ralph Winter in the 1970s took this homogenous unit principle and he said, this is going to reshape strategy and thought of modern missions. So in 1974, he's speaking at the Luzon Conference of World Evangelization, and he presents an argument informed by the homogenous unit principle that that quote this is from his his biography that reignited cross-cultural evangelism right while restoring to many a reason for being and i think that that quote gives so much validity of of you know being born in the mind of dr ralph McGavern or uh, dr McGavern, then to ralph winter it reignited cross-cultural evangelism while restoring to many a reason for being. And the reason why is if you look at it from a geographical perspective in the 1970s, almost every single country had a church. Hmm. And so if we think about where do we send missionaries, we send missionaries where there is a need, where there's, if you remember, people group, unreached people group thought, where there's not enough existing believers to evangelize the rest. Well, in many, many countries, there were enough believers to evangelize the rest whenever you look at it from a nation state perspective. But Ralph Winter said, and this number has grown, but in 1974 at the Luzon Conference, he said some 2.3 billion people and their succeeding generations would remain unevangelized if the extremely difficult task of cross cultural evangelism did not become the church's highest priority. So the third wave, what really sparked this, this conversation about unreached people groups, and you know, we talked uh, in some detail in a previous episode about that, but it was Dr. Ralph Winter, 1974 at the Luzon Conference, that was a pivotal, pivotal moment in seeing missions, organizations, churches, and individuals saying, yeah, we have missionaries in this country, but no one is reaching this people group. And what I believe is, one, it did, like he said, it gave people a reason for being who were there, who felt like, I'm just in maintenance mode, I don't need to be here, but they didn't honestly want to go home. They got, they got to take on a new people.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe they
0: learned a new language. And I think it also mobilized more believers to the mission field, because that number, 2.3 billion, is now larger. And I, I even like how he, this is a quote, he says, th- 2.3 billion, and their succeeding generations we're actually losing ground among the unreached people groups. Why? Because not enough people has taken on what, in his words, the difficult task of cross-cultural evangelism. It's not become the church's highest priority. So Dr. Ralph Winter really took us from geopolitical boundaries to distinct people groups.
1: Well, and I think it really sparked a fire under the church. I think even right after that, and um, there started this whole student movement that happened in the non- later 1970s. Just right after this, you might even, even currently there's this um, movie out called the, um, the, I forget, something generation, Jesus, Jesus Revolution. Um, and it's really talking about this excitement among young people. And I think a lot of this was an excitement a young people among young people that, you know, God is working and he's um, wanting us to be involved. And there's these peoples that don't have a chance um, to know who he is. And they, you know, it sparked this whole movement among missions. And really, I get excited about it because I really feel like my, I was part of that, you know, part of that spark, sparking the church to recognize the nations, the recognized peoples. And I think, It's a spark for all of us, um, too, to be out sharing Christ, even among our neighbors. You know, it sparked that within the church as well, wherever they were located. So I loved, um, I really love that third wave. And it's really kind of where we've been, um, kind of been, you know, and very exciting to think about all the different changes that have happened over the years. Do you know any statistics of that? I don't know the statistics right offhand of things that have happened since then till now with that as Thursday. far as
0: as far as progress
1: mm-hmm.
0: well there, there has been a lot of progress and i can't share statistics because i'm not necessarily prepared but and anecdotally um there's another category we haven't talked about around people groups and that's unengaged unreached people groups meaning no one is no one is given strategy effort missionaries to that people group what we have seen, and it's you know, it's almost been 50 years since that 1974 Luzon conference that sparked this, almost 50 years, but the number of unengaged, unreached people groups has like, I don't know the percentage, it's went way down from what it was. So, and we've seen unreached people groups become reached, and that's one of the difficulties with the definition of an unreached people group when we give a number, is that it becomes like a toggle switch of like, oh, they're unreached, now they're reached. But if discipleship and church planning don't continue, it's going to be like, um, you know, places in Western Europe where it used to be the, the, the epicenter of Christendom is now, you know, very, very unchurched, uh, nonbelievers, agnostic, being really overrun. Uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but overrun with Muslims from, you know, North Africa and the Middle East into Europe so it's not that we take our hand off but it's where where is the greatest need for cross cultural workers and the homogenous unit principle the people group thought really elevates those who don't have access they don't have enough to evangelize but church health is important too in places where there the church does exist because if the church slides into unhealth they're just they're just a generation or two away from from falling into disarray and needing missionaries. I would say the United States is has <laughs> is very close yeah. to the point of the church is unhealthy, not all churches, but in a lot of ways, a lot of churches are unhealthy. And what we're seeing is people are coming to the United States as missionaries, not to reach the unreached people groups that we're talking about, but to reach the Americans. Mm-hmm. So many people I know from Brazil, Korea, Venezuela are sending missionaries to the United States not to share with Punjabi Sikhs or Gujaratis, but to share with people like you and me, because they're like, basically, I've heard people say this, they want to return the favor.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Think Thinking of, of Korea or Brazil, uh, especially the Baptists. the Baptists have had so much work in the country of Brazil. Now Brazil is sending missionaries to America. And so it's like, wow, church health is important, but where there is no church, that is highest priority because ultimately we're saying why we need outside help. And if we believe that a group of people have the word of God and the spirit of God, they have the means to walk in faithfulness to Christ. If they choose, right. Those who don't have the Holy spirit or the scripture, they, they need to be introduced to that. So that's that's where we start talking about prioritization. Because that's really what happened with the third wave is priorities shifted to unreached people groups. And still today, honestly, a large number of missionaries are working among reached peoples or reached places. And, and that's, that's the pivot that we're still advocating for that hasn't happened. But maybe that's a good segue to what, what we're proposing is potentially the fourth wave of modern missions. The church parts, the, the reached parts of the world, they didn't send enough missionaries. So you know what God did? God sent the mission field to us. <laughs> I think maybe it's too early to tell, but whenever we start thinking about what God is doing through the diaspora, this is called Let's Talk Diaspora. So you may have been wondering, when are you going to get to the diaspora? <laughs> we we're, we're here we wanted to give you the history of saying God, God has changed how missions has taken place in geography coastland inland people group thought and and none of those things go away we're still sending people inland still sending people to coastland still sending people to the 1041 window to work with unreached people groups but saying man we need to pay attention to what God is doing in the diaspora and that's twofold right there's twofold Because right now there's 281 million, as of 2020, that's the number, 281 million international migrants in the world. More than any other time in recorded history. More today than ever before. There's two types of people in this diaspora. There are people coming from unreached people groups, from the 1040 window, where it is difficult to send missionaries or nearly impossible to send missionaries without creative entry. The other thing is, is he is sending people through the diaspora from very healthy, vibrant churches from places like sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America, and what we as Westerners have to do is recognize both of those, that we are not the answer to establishing God's kingdom on earth. He will use us, but we have a body of Christ that is huge and diverse. And God is bringing people from Latin America. I'm just so encouraged by my Latino brothers and sisters Mm. who have such a zeal for Christ. They're such bold evangelists. And honestly, for a lot of these unreached people groups coming from the 1040 window, especially the Arab world, man, our Latino brothers and sisters connect with Arabs so much better than you and I, Rebecca, Mm. because their culture is similar. Their language is different. And then if you're listening to this, you don't see us. Our, our skin tone is a little pale. Uh, most of the world is not pale. And so our Latino brothers and sisters, they they connect just because you're... This This sounds like super uh, bad, but I've heard people say, I'll listen to him because he's not white. Mm-hmm. And so we have to understand all of this. What is, what is God doing? And I, I would submit that we, we are potentially... On, on the edge of the fourth wave of modern mission where God is bringing the unreached to North America, to Western Europe. And he's saying to the church, how are you going to respond?
1: Yeah. And I think I, I go back to that act 17 passage and um, where he says that he's made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps fill their way toward him and find him. Yet he actually is not far from each one of us. So he, he, he's doing this. And I think that's what we're trying to say with this. Just looking at the history, let's just look at where God has been at work and where he's, you know, where he's working. And this could be a new wave, you know, that, um, in our eyes, looks new. It may have been happening, but it's new, really, um, that he's working in and um, encouraging each other. And again, I think another thing that we've tried, we keep trying to emphasize, it's not one or the other. We've got to be doing all of these things. We've got to be looking at unreached people groups. We've got to be looking at our lost neighbors where they, whether they're from a group people group, just like us or not like us, we've got to continue to disciple um, and grow in our um, walk with the Lord. But I think it's very important if we want to see we're excited and Bud had men- has mentioned this in a previous episode. If we're excited about Christ's return, we need to be about all nations coming to know and trust him. And God has brought the nations to us. So let's do it and be involved in it. Um, however, he may be leading us, whether it be um, encouraging another brother or sister that may not be the same color as you or from the same type of background to be about sharing with um those that are different from his faith and background, but very similar, or whether it's us as myself, a white American, that I need to be out meeting my, um, these different cultures and peoples and sharing Christ with them. But, um, let's just take our eyes and be aware of that and be out about it.
0: Yeah. It's, it's so good. Whenever I think of that act 17 passage, it's verses 26 and 27, uh, to the, to the listeners, I, I just want to challenge you to look at that passage and answer these two questions. So the first one is, who is ordaining the global diaspora? What Who in that passage, according to that passage, is the person who is determining periods and boundaries? I think if you read it, you're going to find that it's God who is ordaining the global diaspora. And the second question is, why is it happening? Right? Why is it happening? Luke recording this in the book of Acts, Paul's words doesn't leave us without that answer. It says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. So why is it happening according to the scripture? And again, we're not doing this as like an anthropological survey. This is what God, you know, this is what we're seeing. This is this is rooted in scripture that God is doing it so that they may seek him and some may find him. And so what we have to what we have to do as the church in the West is one we have to recognize what God is doing and we have to say how are we going to respond? And like Rebecca said, it, it isn't to the neglect of sending people, but but let me maybe reframe it this way. What if what if we were able to reach people from an unreached people group that's a secure country here in the city I live in, and the city you live in, in New York, Toronto, Montreal, London, or maybe New Braunfels, Texas? What if we could reach them here and then the missionaries we send are of the same people group? Because when we think of the sending process for missionaries, they have to learn language and culture. And many times that is a year to two years that that's all they're doing. And they're never, they're never part of the we. They're always a they, irregardless of how much culture you try to adapt. Man, maybe some missionaries get into the we, but for most of us, we're, we're always the they. We're not the we, meaning the group identifying us as part of their group. But what if we could reach them in our cities, support and mobilize and send them? Because what we know from experience of what God has done in modern missions is that people like to hear the gospel from people who speak, look, talk, practice like they do. So maybe that is the fourth wave of God has brought them here so they may receive the gospel, be equipped, and be sent back out. To their friends, their family, or maybe they can't go back. What I've seen—if I can just share one story—and then I'll, Rebecca, I'll let you close this up. Is there? There is. Uh, I need to be security conscious. There. There is a lady who lives in my city. Let's call her Carol. And Carol is from a Muslim North African country. She is a follower of Jesus. And right now she has went back to her country. She's even talking about going back, but right now she lives in my city and she is doing things through media to reach her village Mm
1: -hmm.
0: through media. So we can't overlook that God is also giving us this technology. And some of you may be saying, yeah, it's evil, but you know what? We can take anything under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and use it for his glory. So let's do it with technology. Another friend of mine, he is from South Asia. He also lives in my city. And guess what he's doing? He has multiple Bible study groups with his country of origin living in the United States. Right now, he actually can't go back to his country. But through technology, uh, he was telling me there, there's people being baptized from a Muslim background in his country because of him coming to faith, being in the United States and through WhatsApp and Zoom discipling people into baptisms and planting churches. That is our God. He has no boundaries. And so anytime we think, oh, we can't do that. God will say, watch this. (laughs) And I think that's where we're at. And it's so exciting because for me, God has called me to the nations, but the stage and phase that of life I'm in, God said, stay where you're at and watch what I can do. And I'm just like, At the beginning, and you may be listening, and you may have a heart to go overseas, and there may be things keeping you from overseas. I was super frustrated for a couple of years, and now my frustration has turned into such excitement because I'm seeing God do things that I would not get to see otherwise. And I believe that for you that that is listening as well.
1: And that's what I want to encourage you as well. God is at work and he is busy and he, I think he wants us to be involved. So there are five practical steps I want to kind of get, might, might get you started if you're not already um, started and involved in this fourth wave that we've um, proposed of God working among the diaspora. But the first step is to learn who these unreached diaspora are that live near you. Learn who they are and where they are. Learn about their culture. That's the second thing. And their religion. Listen and get to know them. Um, and the third step is begin to pray for them. Um, we told you earlier in other episodes about a resource, resource called We You can go to that resource and you can do a virtual prayer walk. Maybe you don't have any in your particular location but there are some that are very near you that you could do a virtual prayer walk or you might even take a little drive and do a a, a prayer walk um, in person among them the fourth thing you can do is you can visit their points of interest and get to know at least 10 of their names meet 10 people and get to know their names um, begin to pray for them visit a mosque visit a hindu temple a gurdwara. Um, you can, And then the fifth thing is you can begin to learn how to share the gospel. There are many gospel resources um, available that you can share um, that are going to relate to their worldview or their um, religion, um, that you can share Christ with them in an easy manner. So get to know what those resources are. And we will be listing some of those resources and um, even definitions and some of the information that we've shared with you in the show notes so please be sure to check that out and thank you for joining us
0: this season is sponsored by upg north america go to upgnorthamerica.com for more information